Welcome to the 7 Seconds or Less podcast. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley and I'm joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing alright, Max. Uh, another bad week as a Suns fan, but I'm happy to be back talking about it with you and a guest this week. Yeah, we have a guest again. It's been a little while. Our guest today is one of the hosts of the excellent podcast, The Timeline which has started sort of around the same time as our pod. It's like our brother podcast, I might say. <laughs> he is a moderator on the Phoenix Suns Reddit, which I'm sure many of you participate in. He is at I'm Pat Burke on Twitter, which is just a fantastic handle. His name <laughs> is Mike V. Hill. Mike, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, guys. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. I love your podcast. I guessed on it. It's, it's awesome. Everyone should check it out. So, yeah, we're excited to talk a little basketball with you. I'm excited, too. This is going to be the first of a, a series of podcasts we're going to be doing throughout the year. It's going to be our award podcast. Uh, if you listen to Dunked On, kind of similar to that, we're going to be doing but more of a Suns-focused thing. We're going to be doing not like the main season awards, but kind of like our own tailored awards for the Suns monthly. So this this month it'll be for the October games, which, as David alluded to, weren't the, weren't the greatest things that ever happened in our lives, but there were a couple good games in there. And then we'll do a little bit of uh, around the league awards. We're going to each invent our own awards for the teams around the league that have been playing maybe slightly better than the Suns have. Uh, but before we get into that, though, uh, guys, Tyson Chandler, uh, it was just reported, is going to be bought out and join the Lakers. Mike, I'll start with you. What are your initial reactions on that? It's hilarious. It's hilarious that the Lakers fans are actually excited for Tyson Chandler to join their <laughs> team. God. I can't believe that they're excited about it. They clear. This is just a reminder to me that other than Suns fans, nobody watches the Suns. Because if anybody around the league actually watched the Suns, they would know that Tyson Chandler is not a good addition to your team. Now, obviously, there's no way to measure how good of a locker room uh, pers- uh, teammate he is. But, I mean, the Suns, what, they averaged 21 wins in the last three seasons? How, how, That's how a pretty good, good measurement. Room- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how good of a locker room teammate could he be in those cases? Uh, you know, I I'm not sad to I, I'm not sad to see the team without him. We'll say that because he's been so bad over the last few uh, f- well the first eight games of the season. Basically, he's been really bad. So I'm not sad to see him go. He seemed like a nice guy, and, and you know I, I I wish all the best for him. But I'm not sad to see him go. David, what do you think? Yeah, I mean I'll just jump on the back of a lot of what Mike said there. I think there is a pretty clear you know, history where we can say he's not the greatest influence in the locker room. He's certainly not a negative one, but uh, I don't think he brings a lot of the positives that maybe in theory you think he brings to a team like the Suns or the Lakers. He shouldn't have been playing at the start of the season. He was out of the rotation the last game, so we're not going to miss him from that standpoint. Being the cap roster nerd that I am, it, it certainly is intriguing to me that we now have a roster spot, which we 
probably could have done with a couple of months ago, Max. Yeah, we really could have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting for me that there's a spot there now. So what they do and, and the bigs behind Aiton are, are kind of thin now, I suppose. As much as we didn't want to see Chandler on the court, there's more minutes for Holmes now. And, you know, maybe this is how we see Bender get on the court every now and then because there's really no third big, at least at the moment, behind those big guys if foul trouble comes into play. Yeah, that's a nice point that I hadn't thought of. This actually might mean some minutes for Bender. I just want to point out that Zach Lowe tweeted after this happened that L.A. has secretly not been panicking about their center situation because they knew they could get a buyout guy. L.A., keep panicking. Keep panicking. Uh, <laughs> just look at this on-off. Dude, I know the Suns are bad. They've been minus 32.6 with him with him on the court, and their on-off is minus 25.4 with him. Th- those numbers are like astronomically bad. You don't find those numbers. He's just, mm-hmm. every time he's coming in the game, mm-hmm. listen, the Suns aren't winning these games anyway, especially without Booker, but every time he's coming in the game, it's just been like, the, the team has just fallen off entirely. It's been a sieve on defense. Like, he doesn't do anything. He's, so listen, maybe there's an argument he just hasn't been trying. Maybe he knew this was coming and just didn't really give a shit. Maybe. But from my eyes, I see a guy who's washed up and can't help a team. I don't know what you guys think. Well, it'd be really nice if we could get Alan Williams back somehow, mm-hmm. that's for sure, because that would have been a nice third big anyway. I mean, Tyson Chandler didn't provide much. At least Alan Williams provided that energy on the bench and then rebounding when he was on the court. But one thing I think is going to be interesting going forward is we get to see whose fault is it that Tyson Chandler wasn't converting on those lobs? <laughs> because we can say it was the guards' fault for, for uh, the Suns, and, and it likely was partially. But now we're going to see maybe LeBron James throwing those lobs. And can Tyson Chandler still get up and get them? I, I doubt it. I think it was gravity's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was anyone else's fault. Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking forward to a, a fair amount of evil stare-downs from LeBron to Tyson Chandler. Uh, if he plays. <laughs> but he, and by the way, he might not play. I could really see Chandler not play and just be like a locker room guy for them. Yeah. And I could also see Chandler actually, you know, trying to be a locker room guy for them. It seems like he had given up on this team. It really has. I, I don't think he gave, you know, any any effort here. Maybe he'll give a little more when he's with LeBron in LA under the lights. We'll see. But I, you can't be excited about this if it's a Laker fan. Like, the upside of this is just that he's not, like, completely detrimental. That's the upside. Absolutely. I agree, Max. And uh, Woj just tweeted that he was... Uh, increasingly frustrated with the Suns. So, yeah, Mm. maybe we see a rejuvenated Tyson back in L.A., which is his home as well, by the way. But I plan to touch on Tyson a little later, so I won't touch too much more on his (laughs) on-court negativity, Max. My guess is that he's going to have one, like, amazing game his first game. He'll put, like, everything he has in that one game, and everyone will call his son stupid for cutting him. Uh, and then he'll be sucky for the rest of the season, and no one will pay attention to that. So that's that's what's going to happen. David, do you want to run down what the Suns have done lately before we get into the awards? Yeah, so since we recorded last week, Max, we have a loss to Memphis, 96-117, a loss at OKC, 110-117. We lost, of course, to the Spurs at home, which was a very disappointing 30-point blowout, 90-120. And then a much better effort with Devin Booker back against Toronto at home, 98-107. to 107. That leaves us 1-7 currently, guys, and uh, last in both our division and the conference, which is a little depressing. Particularly the last in the division part, because we kind of hoped we were better than the Kings, and the Kings are 6-3, and three, so we are not better than the Kings, at least not yet. They're frisky, Max. They're very frisky. <laughs> All right, let's get into our first award here. So as I said, we're going to do sort of a modified uh, version of the season-long awards on a monthly basis. Uh, our first award is going to be the Sixth Man of the Year Award, but it's not really 
the Sixth Man of the Year award. We we consider the whole bench to be important on this team because, you know, there's not a lot of talent. So we're instead just going to ask, who should be playing more based on what we've seen so far? Who is Igor not playing enough? And the way we'll do this, we'll, we'll all give our answers, and then I'll let, we'll let Mike uh, explain first. But Mike, go ahead and give your answer, and we'll go around. Uh, it's this one was hard. First of all, when I first read it as six man of the year, I was like, "Oh no, we have no depth." <laughs> uh, but it's got to be Mikhail Bridges. I'm going with Rashawn Holmes, which I put down before the recent Tyson Chandler news. But yeah, he's my nomination, Max. Mm, very prescient. Uh, mine's the Anthony Melton. Uh, so let's let's start with you, Mike. Why should Mikhail Bridges be playing more? Here's the first thing. I took every lineup the Suns have played so far this season. I filtered by minutes to see the top 20 lineups by minutes played. And out of those top 20 lineups, I sorted by plus minus to see the the best net ratings of all the lineups the Suns have. And out of the top 10 lineups, Mikael Bridges is in the top eight. So, so far for net rating, Mikael Bridges is, is in the top. Now, of course, he's playing against bench players, so he's not playing against the, the toughest competition. But it's clear that he has a positive impact on the court. And the other thing, too, is for a lot of the guys on the court right now, we need to see effort because effort tends to inspire effort. You know, that's why I miss Shaquille Harrison so much. Whether or not he was a net positive always in the actual things that he was doing, he did inspire a lot of effort from other guys around him. And Mikhail Bridges seems to be one of those guys. So I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that he was in all those top lineups as far as just from the eye test. And then, you know, the stats seem to, to, to bear that out as well. David, what do you think about Mikhail? I love Mikhail. He is going to come up in one of my other awards, so I won't uh, extend too much on what Mike said other than the fact that I think we can pretty much throw the rookie excuse out the window. As Mike said, he's he's a positive on the court right now when, you know, a lot of other guys aren't. So let's stop with the, uh, we don't want to play him too much because he's a rookie because I think he's already proven that he's a pretty solid guy out there that you can count on. So yeah, I definitely agree that we need to see more Mikhail Bridges going forward, Max. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm totally in agreement too. I guess the way I'd phrase it and the way I'd put it is like, what what is Ryan Anderson giving you that Mikhail Bridges isn't giving you right now? Because I, I don't think it's anything and Mikhail Bridges is just a clearly better defender. How about really bad step back, Zed grade, <laughs> Dirk Nowinski fadeaways? That's a great point. He's not giving you that, but Mikhail Bridges <laughs> did airball a pull-up like mid-range jumper yesterday, so I mean that's pretty Ryan Anderson-esque. Uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree. I think we, I think pretty much all Suns fans agree. Mikel Bridges should be playing more. It, it, I understand that Eeyore's trying to like you know ease the rookies in and play the vets, but at this point, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do that when he's one of your best five players. Just just play the guy, uh, David. Let's get into Rashawn Holmes a little bit. Yeah, I won't go too in depth because you know we've already touched on Tyson a little bit here, and now that the minutes are open. Uh, it's his minutes to lose and he doesn't have a lot of competition as we said so uh, you know my notes here is that kind of trading for him wasn't making a hell of a lot of sense right now and until you know the last game against Toronto and and now this buyout with Chandler Uh, I think his lack of defense and you know some silly mistakes at times maybe made him unplayable in Igor's eyes but you know now with this Tyson news maybe the Suns were just pushing Tyson out there to to get a buyer um, maybe include him in a trade or, or get someone to bite uh, for him to then take the buyout. So I'm excited going forward with Holmes now because, yeah, the, the backup role is is there for him. You know, he brings that energy that Mike was talking about before. He brings that hustle that's contagious. And uh, I low-key like his passing too. I think, you know, with Aiton going out of the lineup, 
uh, you can kind of play a similar way with Holmes on the court because he's he's got you know some underrated passing instincts, Max. Yeah, he's just alive. Like you can actually see some life in his legs. <laughs> Unlike Tyson Chandler, uh, I I I tweeted like after one minute of uh, Rashawn Holmes coming in, he was mm-hmm. just obviously better than Tyson Chandler. It was just it was clear. There was one lob I remember that they threw up to Rashawn Holmes, and he didn't. I think it was a Booker pass. Rashawn didn't complete it. I know you guys know the one I'm talking about, but Rashawn went up and got it, brought it back down, and then went up and put it in. And I swear I would have passed out if Tyson Chandler caught that exact same pass. It's impossible. So to see Rashawn Holmes do that, it was a breath of fresh air. Not only catch it, but also bounce back up. I don't think Tyson's capable of a second right. jump with this And one. an interesting contrast to the, the Tyson Chandler one that was in my errors video the other day, guys, where Kanan tried to throw him a, a lob and he basically you know, was halfway out of bounds by the time he caught it. And then instead of just taking it out of bounds, he threw it back to Memphis to, to run the fast break. So yeah, I think we got a safer pair of hands in home on those lobs at least if they were trying to showcase tyson for other teams uh it, no <laughs> that didn't work <laughs> all right i'll go ahead and go into mine mine's the anthony melton no secret that i love the guy uh they just assigned him to uh the northern arizona suns i think that's a, probably a good solution if they're not going to play him because he should be playing somewhere uh i think it makes more sense to play him than okobo just because i don't think okobo really helps you on either end right now he's probably a little better in offense but you know still not really helping you Whereas I think Melton would be one of the best defenders on the team kind of immediately. Uh, so I, I wish he were playing more. I don't think he's going to be anytime soon. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on DeAnthony Melton? So when I was researching this category, what I did is I made a list of players that I just thought looked like they gave a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Booker and Aiton were the two first, obviously. Holmes, Warren, Bridges, and Okobo. And then I actually put Kanan on this list because he looks mortally wounded every time Booker <laughs> misses an obvious three-point shooter. And then I, 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 Melton was the last guy that I was like, oh, do I put Melton on this list or not? Because we really haven't seen a lot of him. Now, I do think it's funny to complain about really bad defense and then not play your best defenders. That drives me crazy. Like, we clearly have one guy who's a good defender. It would be nice to see him at least get a few minutes. The problem with Melton is I just haven't seen the passing yet. And I just would mm. like to see uh, his ability to move the ball. Now, it would be nice if we had a guy who could just get to the rim regularly. And of course he's got that new jump shot that we got to see through summer league. And um, that's why I think it's nice that he's going to get some minutes for the NAZ sons, because maybe he can get some more work on that jump shot in actual game time. Uh, But I really like him and I think he needs to get more minutes and I think it's coming to be honest. I I just don't think it's going to be too long of playing Kanan, even though he looked pretty good in that Raptors game. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think both of what you've mentioned in terms of the G league assignment is really important here because I think, Melton trying to really impress Igor in limited spot minutes, maybe likely when the game's already done or they're, you know, the pressure's really on to try and turn the game around. That that's not a you know very conducive to developing a guy and hoping that he impresses you. So I think actually going and, and spending extended minutes uh, with the Naz Suns might be the best way for Melton to actually fight his way into the lineup, kind of show that he can run the, run a team, uh, you know, fill out the box score and, and kind of stuff it a little bit in a few games, which might get the coach's attention and, and get him in. The, the other thing that I'd say, and it probably touches on Mike's point with the passing, is I'd actually like to see him eventually in the lineup with other point guards, um, because if that's kind of his biggest deficiency right now, he as we said, he, he brings some other 
pretty great things to a team that, that this Suns team definitely needs. So if they're a little worried about his playmaking, if you can get him in with some other guys and, and maybe even Booker, that's where he'll really shine, I think. Yeah, you guys are probably right. I mean, he should be playing uh, probably in the Northern Arizona Suns unit. One thing people forget about Melton is he didn't get to play college basketball last year, so he just needs to like play basketball. He just needs to get back in the rhythm of it. It makes sense for him to play there. I just, I just love him so much and want to see him play, so I'm being <laughs> selfish. Okay, let's move on to the next award. This is the DPOY, which is obviously the Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA, but because the Suns don't play defense, we're not going to award a Defensive Player of the Year. We're going to award the most disappointing player of the month. Mike, you start, and we'll go around here. I think it's got to be Josh Jackson. I guess happiness is a function of expectations, as the great Jalen Rose said, but it, it has to be Josh Jackson. <laughs> David? Uh, I alluded to before, Tyson Chandler for me. Thank God he's gone. Uh, I also have Josh. So let's, let's focus this conversation on Josh because Tyson, we talked about it enough, I think. Mike, why is Josh the most disappointing? And then David, you follow up with why you agree or disagree. Well, I think it's difficult. It's been difficult so far for him to find what his role is on this team. Uh, I think during the preseason and and during training camp, they talked a lot about his playmaking, and it, that just hasn't bared out. We haven't seen it. He's averaging significantly more turnovers than assists so far, and it's just been difficult. I will say that I'm actually not that worried about it. I've actually seen a lot of people sort of panicking about Jackson so far, and I don't feel that way just yet. I think that... Just with the way the team is built, it's going to take a little bit of time for him to find his role. And if it doesn't happen by the end of the season, maybe we can start to get worried. But even then, I I think Jackson's a bit of a project and and we have to kind of be patient with him. Whether or not he'll succeed, I don't really know. I I think that the more and more I watch him play, the less likely I think it is. Uh, But I think it's possible. Now, I will say, though, uh, I did consider Igor Kokoshkov for mm. this uh, this category. David's and, gonna kick and, you off the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, let me let me let me explain first. Uh, I, I'll say he was close to winning this before the Toronto game. In the Toronto game, I thought he actually did an excellent job. Um, but I I just I do want to say I tend to think people criticizing rotations this early in the season need to chill a little bit, like calm down. Uh, every couch coach forgets that team chemistry and morale matter and you know they always talk about lineups as if players are sort of inanimate chess pieces that that don't have opinions and thoughts playing the vets does make sense early and giving them more than a few games to see if they're washed up or to see if they're just in a slump that does make sense as well uh it's important to show the players that are on the team that if they've proven it in the past that they're allowed to actually perform rather than being yanked right away but if nothing changed as of that Toronto game, I think I would have been pretty frustrated. So it's been nice to see that Tyson was benched. Obviously, he's gone now. Anderson was benched. Okobo played more. Mikhail played more. Um, I would say I'm in the not worried about Igor corner, but uh, it was a little frustrating of a start. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I think you know the way you summed it up is pretty perfect, Mike. Is there were some disappointing things from Igor, but you know we can't forget the fact that he is a rookie coach that's been dealt a a pretty awful hand and then some extra bad luck on top of that. So I think your point about the Toronto game is important. You know, it ties in with kind of why I wasn't panicking is, is we needed Booker back. Everything is just so much easier down the line when, when you slot Booker into the rotation. So uh, yeah, let's, let's watch this space on that one going forward. I, I certainly expect things to be a little easier for Igor when Booker is back with the team full-time. But I think Josh was the the obvious choice here. I think he's hurt the team the most 
Uh, I kind of expected both of you to mention his name in, in this category, which is why I threw up Tyson, just because I think he you know, hurt the team in even less minutes than someone like Josh. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. the, the funny thing, the only thing that I'll bring up with Tyson here is he was averaging 8.5 fouls per 36 minutes, which is just ridiculous. Uh, but wow. but back on Josh, he, he was really hurting the team. And I think Max and I are pretty much on the same page here in terms of him needing a real role change, which I think ties into what Mike was mentioning to Max around just trying to really find him a spot in this rotation that he can focus on. You know, I think one thing that we forget with Josh, he's kind of been in and out of the starters. He's always the first guy pulled in when there's an injury. Then he's back to the bench. He just hasn't been able to settle. And, you know, he only played 11 minutes in that Toronto game, but was pretty effective in those minutes. So, you know, maybe that's the role for him going forward to just come in and be a spark plug off the bench. What do you think, Max? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add on Josh because I totally agree with that. And I've made that clear on this podcast many times. Uh, people think I'm crazy because I say Josh Jackson needs to start. It's not because I think he deserves to start. I think it's just he just desperately just needs to be in a smaller role next to players who are better than him so he won't, you know, have the ultimate green light because that's, that's what's killing him right now. But I'm not gonna not gonna labor that because I'd rather respond to some of the Igor stuff as one of his rotation criticizers. Here's the thing: I know he's been dealt a very bad hand. His team sucks. He's had a really bad roster. He doesn't have very many good options. But he's picking the worst options, in my opinion. I I understand playing the vets, but you just cannot play Ryan Anderson, Tyson Chandler, and Jamal Crawford together. You just can't. And obviously, he's not doing that anymore because Tyson's gone, and he didn't do it at Toronto. But against uh, against San Antonio. Closed the first quarter and started the second quarter with that was three. And uh, as David made very clear with his little uh, on our podcast uh, Twitter, he posted a video of seven plays of them. Didn't go well. Didn't go well, which is pretty predictable. Uh, you just you just can't do that. Those, those are your three worst players. They're your vets. You knew they were going to kill you. Like you, I, you've got to be better than that, Igor. I, I understand it's a rookie coach figuring things out, but that's pretty predictable. You can't stick your team like that. That's kind of how I feel about it. I can't argue with that. Uh, the only thing I would say is, you know, every time one of us has criticized him and noticed something wrong with the rotation, either the very next game or, or when they get back home after a couple of days rest, there's a pretty positive change that has yep, been yep. made to the lineup. So definitely something worth watching going forward. And, and maybe in another 10 games time, we'll, we'll have the perfect rotation in our eyes and a little frustrating that it may have taken that long, but as you alluded to before, it, it's hard to know what's going on behind the scenes. And, and as Mike said, you kind of have to remember the human element to, to being a coach as well. Yeah. Imagine being a rookie coach and then not being able to trust your veterans. That's a weird place to be. I mean, I, when you first start out as a coach, you think, okay, if these young guys, they can't figure it out, if they're having trouble, well, I'll put the vets in and then the vets can kind of stabilize things. That's been the opposite case so far. And there's there wasn't a lot of predicting that other than maybe Jamal Crawford and Tyson Chandler. But Ryan Anderson and Trevor Reza, there was reasons to believe that they would be sort of a stabilizing presence on the court. But so far, no. So it's, that's a rough place to be as a rookie coach. Yeah, no doubt. And it's obvious that Jamal Crawford was foisted on Igor. That, and that, mm-hmm. he, that's what James Jones wanted. That's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it seems like Tyson Chandler, there was a mandate to play him to showcase him, <laughs> which is hilarious now. But that is probably what was going on. So I, I, I think that Igor needs some slack for that stuff, but yeah, just don't play them all together, I guess. <laughs> all right, let's go on to the MIP award, which is generally the most improved player of the year. We're going to do most improved player of the month so far. Mike, who's your most improved player? 
It's got to be Tony Warren Jr. TJ Buckets. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, I I'm not here to disagree with that. I was I'm one of TJ's more vocal critics probably. Uh, I thought there was no chance he was ever going to get better at any of the things he was bad at because he hadn't shown any propensity to do so. But guess what? He's a lot better of a three-point shooter now, isn't he, Mike? Well, you know, actually, when you were on the Timeline podcast, I believe I even Mm -hmm. questioned whether or not it was possible for TJ Warren to be an effective starter on a potential playoff team. And I just doubted it because there was no reason to believe it up to to then. First of all, he was a terrible passer. Uh, Second of all, last season, he only had 20 three-pointers that he made. So far this season, through eight games, he has 12 made three-pointers. Um, and last year, through eight games, he was two for ten uh, for three-pointers, so he, had, he only had two. And after last season only having 20 made threes, he's on pace for 120, over 100, 123 three-pointers this year. It's kind of nuts, and this is the kind of change. I think that it's important to point out that this doesn't happen by accident, and, and that's obvious, but it takes a lot of work for a player to completely revamp the three-point shot over the course of one single offseason, and the amount of work that that TJ Warren put into that, it really makes me respect him. And it makes me confident that he'll continue to get better throughout his career and maybe add new things to his game every summer. Now, of course it remains to be seen. This is all small sample sizes so far. So it remains to be seen that, uh, whether or not this is actually going to stay throughout the season, but so far so good. Yeah. I I don't want to demean, uh, Warren getting this award, but you know, the main, the main question I have here, is there anyone else? We've all chosen him for, for most improved. I'm not sure there was any other candidates. So I would say maybe Devin Booker, maybe Devin Booker would be a candidate. Yeah. That's interesting. Why why don't you tell us uh, your thoughts on Warren and maybe Booker as well there, Max? I'll focus on Warren because I'm going to get to Booker in a little bit here. TJ Warren, if you're an Igor Kokoshkov stan, like at least one person on this podcast is, maybe two, <laughs> I think your best evidence of Igor's effect is, is on TJ, right? Because TJ has clearly bought into what Igor is selling. He actually like tries to play within an offense now. And I, I think I said this on our previous podcast, but TJ has always sort of like been the lone mercenary out there just trying to do his own scoring thing, which he was very good at. He's one of the best like, two-point range scorers in the league. But now it seems like he's really bought into the fact that, hey, if I'm going to be an effective player who helps my team win, I need to pass the ball sometimes. I need to shoot threes and space the floor. I need to actually consider playing defense sometimes. And I think he's doing all these things now. And that was my only criticism of him before is that, you know, he always had that scoring ability, but he wasn't doing these other things that he needed to do at least, not even well, just at like a not F-minus level. And I think he's gotten to the the place where he's like a C-minus or above and all those things. Which is just it's just it's key for him, and now he's an effective player. It makes the rest of his game like actually enjoyable and fun and helpful. It's just I could not say enough about how happy I am with how T.J. Warren looks. Yeah, I, I know it's not going to be this simplistic, but do you remember back to Igor's intro press conference? And I think Warren was maybe the only player in attendance because it was a, mm-hmm. a weird time for players. And there was that photo of of Warren and Igor together after the press conference. David, David, when I was just saying that, I had that photo literally in my mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, as I said, it's probably not this simple, but I really like to think that he basically in that five minute conversation said you need to come back and shoot three pointers and share the ball around or you're not playing for my team 
because that's what he's done. I'm sure he's going to regress a little bit, but he's currently like 46% from three. And as Mike said, on a pretty decent volume. So not a, you know, small sample size per game, even though it's a small sample size for, for the season so far. And, you know, his overall assist numbers don't look like a major improvement right now, if you look at his kind of totals. But I think that's kind of because his minutes are down. If you kind of scroll down to per 36 stuff, he's more like 2.2 assists a game. And, and that's almost a full assist up on what we're used to from Warren. So the signs there are great too. And Uh, he's playing with effort. As Mike said, if you you create a list of players on the team that are currently, you know, bringing that side of things, Warren definitely deserves to be on it. I I still rather him as a six man, kind of on a a good playoff team, as Mike said before, but he 100% deserves to start right now. And I'm glad that Igor made that move. All right. I think we all agree with that. Next award, the ROY, which is generally the rookie of the year, but the problem is Aiton would win that every single time if that was the award. So we're going to do instead, what was our favorite rookie play of the month? Or what rookie do we think had the best individual single play? Mike, what's your answer for this? So it's got to be the two times, I believe, Aiton had back-to-back blocks. Hmm. <laughs> Every time that happens, it's... it's Well, first off, it's hard to really fully enjoy Aiton for how good that he's been because so much of the pre-draft focus on Aiton was his defense and his ability to be a rim protector. So every time he makes a defensive play, uh, it makes my heart flutter a little bit. So I really, really enjoy it. I'm going to cheat a little here, Max. I'm going with Mikhail Bridges and any time he gets a deflection or steal Mm -hmm. on the court, that length Mm -hmm. is just fascinating to watch. So if I had to pick one moment, it's actually the it probably doesn't count for the October awards here, but the very end of the Raptors game, if people still tuned in or, or didn't drive home yet from the arena, there was uh, the very end of the game where the Raptors were running down the clock and uh, Bridges just easily reached in, got the steal off the Raptors point guard and took the ball down the court for an easy dunk when he probably shouldn't be scoring at the end of the game. But I, I love it when players do that. That's a real good one because I think... I think one of the underrated parts about this draft is that the Suns finally added some people who don't have T-Rex arms, because everybody on their freaking <laughs> team had T-Rex arms for the past couple of years. And uh, DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges do not have T-Rex arms. And neither does the guy who I'm going to mention. You guys won't be surprised. It's DeAnthony Melton. Uh, I retweeted this on Twitter. I think Cole Zwicker is the guy I retweeted, but it was a play... Oh, God, wait. I think it might have been the San Antonio game. It was. It was. I know the one you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Where he he got he got uh, screened hard and barely snuck through it, and then the the big who screened uh, cut back to the to the basket for sort of like a you know an easy layup. Which uh, if anybody else on the Suns for the past like decade regarding that play would have been an easy dunk, but Melton appropriately realized that that's what the play was and quickly darted into the into the paint right in front of the pass lane, stole the ball. It was insane. I haven't seen a Suns player do that in so long. That's what winning teams do. And was it a small play? Yes. But it's just something that I, I just want to see so much more from this team. So it was my favorite. Well, it's a small play, but I think it's important to, to mention for me, I still, I've been very much focused on this. I still don't know what the actual defensive scheme is mm-hmm. for those low pick and rolls that we're running because it seems to be that when Kanan and Aiton are guarding it, Aiton will switch onto the the small player on those low pick and rolls, and then Kanan will just watch the big get a pass directly under the rim, and then they'll dunk it. Now, I don't know if 
Kanan is supposed to immediately switch or if the guy's supposed to shade off the corner to cover the big and then uh, Kanan's supposed to run out to defend the corner because that still hasn't happened. I haven't seen anyone adjust on those pick and rolls except for DeAndre Ayton. So when that play happened and DeAnthony Melton dove in and he used his strength too. It, I, I think it was Pau Gasol that was the man, the man that was mm-hmm. rolling. He used the strength to actually push off of him and make space to actually grab that steal. That was a really impressive play and it's the first time I've seen any sort of defense on low pick and rolls. It should First of all, low pick and rolls aren't great to run normally, but they work really well, well on the sun so far. <laughs> so uh, it, it was, I know the exact play you're talking about, and I was really impressed too because that's been a frustrating defensive scheme to watch. It's a small play, but it's an important one, as you guys have both said, because uh, it, it exemplifies how good guards and good wings can make your bigs look better. So Aiton probably did the right thing by stepping up there, as you said, Mike, but it's an easy pass for the right point guard if someone like Melton doesn't jump in and, and take that steal. So having guys like Melton and Bridges on the team around Aiton is actually going to make him look better and make the whole team more solid. You know, I've got here Bridges, for one, is kind of averaging two and a half steals per 36 minutes and an extra 1.7 deflections in just 17 minutes. So if Bridges ever gets up to playing like 30 minutes a game, he's going to be like in the top five to 10 in the entire NBA for deflections, which you need guys like that on the team, particularly if you're going to play defense the way that Mike just described. Uh, We've talked about it a bit, Max. I actually expected that Aiton would kind of use drop coverage a little bit more on those pick and rolls. But if they are having Aiton come up to the guards, you need guys like Melton who are instinctually good defensive players that are going to make plays like that because that's what's going to stand out. And uh, I just don't know how long it's in, it's going to be until you know either Bridges or Melton are, are starting on this team because they're both perfect fits with Booker once they're kind of ready to start, guys. How about both? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be nice. I'm in. Let's move on to the final award. Last but not least, it's the Most Valuable Player Award. So it's going to be the most valuable player for October. I, In my opinion, there's only one answer for this. I think most people think there's probably two choices, but I'm interested to see what you guys think. Mike, who's the MVP? I'm glad that you said there's only one answer because I'm not going to give that one. It's To me, it's DeAndre Ayton, and I will, of course, have my chance to explain why. I think I'm with you on this one, Max. I have gone Devin Booker. Yeah, I'm Devin Booker too. So let's start with Mike's explanation for why he thinks it is DeAndre Ayton. I was thinking about the MVP award and how it works in the overall NBA. And generally in the NBA, the amount you play and the amount of minutes you play and the amount of games you play matter. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Devin Booker has been out, I know this is, this is kind of a cop out because I mostly, I just wanted to talk about Deandre in a little bit, but it matters. So for that, I just sort of, I just ruled, well, let's just go over it. Aiton's played 253 minutes so far this season, and Devin Booker's only played 173, so that's 80 more minutes, basically 150% of the minutes that Devin Booker's played. So a pretty big percentage increase uh, on that. He's first in PER, of course. That overweights big men a little bit, but he's first in PER. He's second in points for, per game. He's first in rebounding, top 10 in the NBA in rebounding. Uh, I was going to say second in true shooting percentage behind Chandler, but now he's first because Chandler's gone. So he's he's bumped up that list a little bit. He also has the highest offensive rating. I know these are all stats that have problems in small sample sizes, but he has the highest offensive rating on our team at 127. And the only players on the team to have a higher defensive rating than him are Mikhail Bridges, Tyson Chandler, Rashawn Holmes, Troy Daniels, and DeAnthony Melton. No surprise on any of those guys, but none of them have had anywhere near as big of a role as DeAndre Ayton has had. 
So, you know, like all five of those players combined have played 315 minutes compared to Aiton's 253 minutes. So just as far as how big of a role Aiton's played and how important he's been for the offense so far this season, especially with Devin Booker off the floor, I just felt like he's sort of earned it. And the team, you know, the truth is the team's really bad. So there's not a lot of guys to choose from. Uh, So to me, Aiton had to be the guy with, with... Booker's limitations as far as playing. I don't disagree with anything that Mike said. I, I think this is actually quite funny, and I thought about it from both of those angles, Mike, being very nerdy about it, thinking about most valuable player and, and how it's voted on. Obviously, games and minutes do matter, but so early in the season, I kind of skewed the other way and chose to go, and not everyone votes on the MVP like this, but uh, I just went with the guy who is clearly the most valuable to his team right now. And I, I think that's Devin Booker. I, I don't want listeners to, to come at us, Max, and, and think we're not giving Aiton his credit where it's due. Oh, he's clearly the first or second. Like, those are the two. Mm-hmm. 100%. But just with Booker, you know, he's averaging 26 a game. He's way more efficient, which we've touched on in, in previous pods, so I won't go there too much. Uh, 4.4 rebounds, uh, over 6.5 assists, which is great. Turnovers obviously need to come down, as we've discussed before. But, you know, the Suns were blown out numerous times without Booker. I think all the struggles, everyone else's struggles, kind of can be tied to him. And we saw that in the Toronto game with him being back in the lineup. Everyone automatically looks better straight away. And frankly, I just think he is the team. And and that's why I think he deserves the MVP for October, Max. Even though, as Mike said, he missed a lot of time. So I agree with a lot of what both of you said. The response I'll have, Mike, to your point, which is correct, that the actual MVP award is... Give it, generally given to somebody who played a lot. I think the reason for that is because the team he's on usually wins a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that's and you know, he's been contributing to that. Listen, the, the Suns have won one game, and they won that game because Booker won them the game. <laughs> uh, and then they've been actually reasonably competitive in one other game, and that was the game where Booker came back. And I, Booker wasn't particularly good in the game, but I, there's a, a clear reason why they were competitive with Toronto. It's because Booker was changing things. Mm-hmm. They had to pay attention to somebody on the offense for once. And yeah, so Aiton has been awesome. I've been extremely happy with him, particularly offensively. Defensively, he's shown flashes, but listen, he's allowing over 70% at the rim. So like, defensively, he's been uh, you know pretty bad. I mean, not to say Booker's been good, but just, just kind of to mitigate his offensive value a little bit. To me, it, it really just comes down to the fact that we have one win, and the reason why it's Booker... And, and some of this also is not just based on what we've seen. It's just based on what I what I know. And that's I know Booker's the best player in this team. Uh, and maybe that's not fair to project forward on this since we're just saying October. But even just October, he's the guy who got us our one win. So that's kind of why I'm giving it to Booker. And it's totally fair, actually, because if you just look at when they've been on the court, it's clear. Not just this season, uh, but if you just look at this season alone, it's clear Devin Booker's the best player on this team, and it's not even mm-hmm. close. He's the only one that has a chance to be an all-star maybe in the next few years uh, at all. And he's clearly the best player. I feel like I need to clarify that, that I, I, that I do think that Devin Booker is the best player. Uh, the right, only right. reason that uh, I would pick anybody above him is just, just for those minutes and, and the amount of minutes that he's played. I'm looking forward to Devin Booker playing. Now, I do want to ask you guys, do you think Devin Booker is injury prone? I think it's great that you brought that up. I, I was just about to tie that in to kind of support your view of, of picking Aiton because I think, you know, as we do these every month, it, it's going to be interesting to see 
which guy gets nominated or, or someone else perhaps on, on a given month. But the reason we may not be picking Booker is because he misses more time again and again. And, and maybe we get to the end of the season and it's just overwhelming for Aiton because he's been on the court a hell of a lot more. But Max has touched on this a, a lot more. So I'll give him the floor in terms of Booker's durability. It's becoming harder and harder to deny, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. the guys who were injury prone are the guys who, you know, they suffer these just random injuries constantly to all certain parts of their body. And some people hate even calling players injury prone because it's like you're questioning masculinity or something, but it's really <laughs> not that at all. It's just some guys are just built differently and their bodies break more for whatever reason. And I hope that's not Devin Booker. The good thing about Devin Booker is he's never suffered like a really bad, serious injury knock on every piece of wood I've ever seen in my life. But. He just suffers these constant little things, and it's like, man. I think a lot of times, too, he, he, he comes back too early because he's so competitive and he wants to play through things and just aggravates his injuries as a problem. I think they need to control him a little bit more. It seems like they were uh, cautious with this hamstring thing, and he's fine. But, yeah, I, I think it's a really worthy thing to bring up. I'm glad you brought it up, and it's something to monitor, and I hope the team you know, kind of takes it into consideration going forward when they, when they think about rushing him back. I think your last point there, Max, is really important. Uh, not to say that they're identical injuries, but Harden and Booker basically had grade one hamstrings on the same night mm-hmm. from memory. The teams are in similar situations, both struggling and could do with their star player on the court. Harden is not back yet. And the Rockets have kind of publicly said that they're not going to rush him back because it's more important to have him at the pointy end of the season than right now, and they're not panicking. Whereas, as you said, either Booker or the team, there may have been a little pressure to get back on the court with how bad we are struggling. So definitely something to watch. We don't want to see recurring injuries from Booker rushing back too soon. But you know, to end this section on a positive, and we've talked so much about defense, and, and here we've talked about both Aiton uh, and Booker pretty extensively. Can we just talk very quickly about the 30 seconds where Booker made a stop on Kawhi and then uh, Aiton blocked Javel in the post, and and how important that is that you know our two negative defenders are, are doing things like that occasionally to to try and turn the team around. Yeah, dare I say that was fun to watch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Devin Booker is not like he's not without potential to play defense at all. I mean he's obviously athletic. Look at him play offense. He has size. There's no reason why he just can't be at least okay on defense. So it's nice to see him show that a little bit because you know generally he's just never trying I think mm-hmm. so yeah I, I mean yeah that that Kawhi play was really encouraging I'm, I'm glad you brought that up David uh anything else before we move on to did you know that's it for me all right David take it away let's do it well Max and Mike with a whole episode dedicated to awards it only seemed right to talk about the Phoenix Suns history with the main NBA awards We've already covered off past sixth man of the year winners in this segment for Phoenix. So it probably comes as no surprise, but the Suns have never had a defensive player of the year (laughs) award winner either. So let's start off with a little test of the other three major awards we've discussed here. How many can the two of you cover off together? So we'll start with MVP, which began in 55-56, but the Suns obviously didn't enter the league till much later. We've taken it out three times. Can you name them? Michael, I'll I'll give you first chance to to get all three. Uh, Well, Steve Nash, uh, twice. Does that count as two? (laughs) It does. Okay, and Charles Barkley. There we go. Man, way to give our guests a softball, man. Yeah, I know. I'm a genius. (laughs) I never get questions that easy. (laughs) 
we'll, we'll throw to you now with, of course, a much harder one, Max. So on to Rookie of the Year, which apparently started in 53, which is before the MVP, which I haven't actually got to the bottom of that. It, it makes zero sense huh. to me, but maybe one of the listeners yeah. will inform us on that. So that one we've won three times also. Any ideas, Max? Well, I know Amari Stoudemire won it. That is one. The other two are, are from the 70s, so I'm not going to hurt you too much for, for not getting any. But hey, what about Walter Davis? Is, did he win it? He is. And there was one okay. just prior to that. Who's come up on the on in this section a couple of times, if memory serves me correct? Has he? Is it either Alvin Adams or Paul Westwell? You got it first time. Three for three. I like it. How about that? So finally, most improved guys, which came much later in 85. But the Suns have taken this one out three times as well. Mike, I'll go with you first. Can you name any of those? that You should know the three players. I'll say that much. Well, uh, Dragic. That is one. Right. And that's the only one I can remember, actually. I think I got the other two. DL won it with us, right? Oh, Correct. Yes. 05, 06. And I, did Barbosa win one? I know he won six, man. Did he win most improved? He did not. We're talking a, a little earlier than that. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. It was KJ in 88, 89. Oh, ah. So now here's what I'll call a funny fact more than a fun fact, guys. But the Suns, until very recently, had three current players who have taken out awards on the roster. Do either of you want to guess who they might be? Does Tyson Chandler count as a current player? He does. So he was the very recently bit. So he got the Defensive Player of the Award in 2012. So there's two more. Mike, you got one? Hmm. I don't think I do. Jamal Crawford, we talked about this last week. Only reason why I remember he won six Yes. Yep. Three-time winner. Sixth man of the year in 2010, 2014, and 2016. I'll give you both a clue here. If you have followed me calling the trio the death lineup for the Suns, the third guy is the third guy in the death lineup. Mm -hmm. So he won. Did he win the uh, most improved, or are we talking about three-point cons or something? Most improved. Ryan Anderson, by the way. It's got to be Ryan Anderson, yes, yeah. <laughs> it was. Ryan Anderson in, in 2012. So as I said, all three guys were pretty good back when they won the awards. But uh, right now, the three of them make up the death lineup for the Suns. Uh, Chandler, <laughs> now gone. Hopefully less Crawford, uh, which we saw last game. And, and hopefully that continues to go downwards. And maybe we'll see the similar thing happen with Ryan Anderson. Although I'm, I'm less sure on that. I think we're going to have to put up with minutes from him going forward. But onto this season's awards and any Suns chances, I think we can safely say that Rookie of the Year might be the only chance the Suns have this year. So the Suns will probably need to start turning things around to, to get a sniff of any of the other awards. But... Either way, I think Aiton has a chance to win Rookie of the Year. It usually comes down to the highest points per game, as Max and I have discussed on on previous pods. And right now, Aiton is behind Young and Dontic in that category. But I think it's going to be tight all year, guys. So have either of you changed your preseason prediction? I'm not sure. I think you might have gone with Aiton. I think I saw maybe somewhere, Mike. Is that true? Yeah, I think Aiton... I think Aiton... I had, if I had to bet, I would bet that Aiden won the Rookie of the Year. But I think it's not its not going to be easy. I think Trey Young's been really impressive. Luka Doncic, of course, has been really good. But I think the combination of Aiden's points, 
rebounds and efficiency will probably win him that award. Max, you you sticking with Doncic? I think Doncic is going to win because I think the Mavericks are going to be a better team and the narrative's already on his side, as some fans like to point out. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think he'll win it. But it's going to be a good race. I'm excited for it. Yeah, so interestingly, thinking back to Ryan Anderson's Most Improved Award, as we discussed from 2012, Dwight Howard was obviously on that team. He didn't win Rookie of the Year in his first year, came third behind Okafor and Ben Gordon, actually, of all people. But he obviously went on to win multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards. However, you know, on that Magic team, both Anderson and Turgoglu both won Most Improved with Dwight Howard. So, you know, you could argue his presence and, and dominance helped those guys thrive on the team. And now, it'll be interesting to see in future whether Aiton can do the same for, for some of his teammates. But that's it, guys. Max, let's move on to Around the Association. And uh, I'm looking forward to having a bit of fun with this one with some awards of our own. Yeah, thanks, David. I, I like the ones where I actually get the answers right for once. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we're going to get around the league a little bit here. We're each going to pick one positive award and one negative award that we are making up ourselves to assign to one of the team's around the league. So let's start positively here. Mike, what is your positive award? So both of my positive and negative awards are most fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most fun for a good reason and most fun for a bad reason. The most fun for good reason, and I know this isn't a fun answer, but it's got to be the Golden State Warriors because mm-hmm. what I missed about the Golden State Warriors was Steph and the way that Steph was just kind of wheeling and dealing out on his own, just firing up insane shots over and over and over again. And he, this might be the best start to any season he ha- has ever had. Mm-hmm. And they look incredible so far. And even though they're kind of a bulldozer that just rolls over everyone in the league, that shouldn't be that fun to watch. But somehow it is. And, that, and all credit goes to Steph on that because I don't really – have that much fun watching well clay is great but i don't really have that much fun watching durant to be honest he's an incredible player but i don't think his game is all that exciting so so credit to steph and clay because that team's been really fun to watch so far david yeah i i agree with mike obviously and 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 the clay ticking time bomb some team was (laughs) was gonna cop that eventually i'm just glad it wasn't the suns because that was uh pretty ridiculous against the chicago bulls but Uh, I've gone with an East team for my good award, Max, and I have called this the Imagine Still Being This Good While Struggling Award, and it goes to the Boston Celtics, who are 6-2 whilst many saying, and, you know, rightfully so, that they actually look quite bad, but uh, number one defense in the NBA, which you can kind of rest back on while you're trying to get uh, the offense clicking, which I'm sure they will do. They have a great coach in Brad Stevens. Haywood and Kyrie have, have both kind of struggled coming back from those injuries and getting integrated with the lineup. You know, even Tatum hasn't looked great, but imagine being that poor, particularly as a Suns fan, and, and still sitting at 6-2 and two in the East, Max. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with both of your awards. Both great. I, Mike, I just I love that we're getting a Seth Curry renaissance season. He seems like he wants to win the MVP, which I love. I love when players do stuff like this. Like, titles are important, but it's also a legacy thing to win the MVP, and I'm glad Curry is, like, embracing that, and he's going for it. It's great. It makes the game more fun. Uh, and David, yeah, I mean, the, the Celtics are ridiculous. The fact they're struggling in 6-2, and two, that's, that's a great insight. Mine, I'm calling it the Welcome to the Show Award. I'm giving it to the Milwaukee Bucks. I want to welcome them to title contention because that team is a title contender. Bud has completely changed them. Even when Giannis like, hasn't played, they've looked good. 
just because the system's good now. Bledsoe looks better. Middleton kicks ass. And obviously Giannis is a complete freak. I think that team legitimately could make the finals. And, you know, who knows, an injury away from winning it. Depends on what Giannis does. But, man, I, I've been so impressed with Milwaukee. I thought they'd be good. They're even better than I thought they were going to be. They are legit uh, one-seed contender, in my opinion. I think it's funny that when people were talking about Milwaukee, or specifically Giannis, before this season, the whole talk was, man, if he figures out his jump shot or if he starts hitting threes, watch out. They're going to be mm-hmm. so good. And what's been interesting about that team so far is that he's terrible at shooting so far. He can't hit any shots outside of the paint, and they're still amazing. He's just one of those guys that defies all logic. He just doesn't need the traditional skills that you would think a guy like that needs in order to make a good team around him. Just surround him with guys that can shoot or at least are willing to shoot. Not all of them have to hit at a really high clip, but they have to be willing to take the shots when they catch the ball, and clearly Bud's got them doing that. Uh, But I just think it's hilarious that he just doesn't need it. He doesn't need to shoot, and, and it's true. If he does add that to his game, I don't know how you defend them at all, but he clearly doesn't need to. Yeah, and I think it's a great point by you, Max, in terms of them still looking pretty good with Giannis out. That's a, a great sign for the team going forward. Obviously, they're not going to be contenders if uh, an injury hits Giannis at the wrong time, but you know them being able to still pick up wins and, and look quite good without Giannis is important. But Mike, how about you give us your bad team here? Yes, so also just a point on that to add to it, would have been nice if we traded that Bucks pick before everyone could tell how good the team is. <laughs> uh, or if we would have got it this last season instead of the coming season. That would have been nice too. All right, so my most fun to watch team for bad reasons is, and I don't mean this as an insult to you guys, but it's Dallas. And, and that's for a couple reasons. <laughs> it insult us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just know you love Doncic. And that's partially why I like it because I love watching Doncic so far. But... What's been really fun, because ultimately for me, the NBA is an entertainment league, and I watch it for all kinds of reasons. Yes, I watch it for basketball, but I also love the drama surrounding teams. I just think that it's really kind of unique to the NBA, how uh, how accessible and how much people know about the drama and the weird tensions between players on teams or players on other teams, like the Jimmy Butler situation. And Dallas, it's starting to get... The, it's, the body language isn't great. I, I know you guys saw DeAndre Jordan practically tackle uh, Luka Doncic <laughs> to get that rebound. And there's been a lot of talk by Dallas fans of Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, just freezing Doncic out or them not giving the ball enough to Doncic. And, and that sort of drama, that's kind of exciting for me uh, for a couple reasons. First off, it's just fun to judge their body language because after watching terrible Suns teams for such a long time, I'm basically an expert on that. Like I can, I can see all the bad signs as they happen on the court at all times. Um, and two, maybe they're going to trade Dennis Smith Jr. at some point. And guess who could use a point guard? I'm not sure how great he would be on the Suns, but I think he would be better than any of the players that we have on our team so far as far as point guards go. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Uh, there's, there's definitely some drama building around that Dallas team. And there's a lot of parallels between that Dallas team and the current Suns team that we've been talking about. You mm-hmm. know, both terrible on defense so far, both not getting a hell of a lot out of their veterans, uh, some of which they brought in in the offseason. DeAndre Jordan, for one, is kind of a perfect match with Trevor Ariza around taking a one-year balloon payment and, and not really living up to it so far. And uh, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I, I want to see Doncic thrive. Uh, you know what DeAndre Jordan should do? If you're playing with Luka Doncic, 
and Luka Doncic is getting the rebound, you should run the floor. Like, <laughs> just run the floor because Luka Doncic is a – there's not many players mm-hmm. that can effectively find a big man from 90 feet away on a fast break. And you're playing with one of them, and you're one of the best dunkers in the league. Don't worry about your rebound stats. Maybe just work a little harder to properly serve your team and, and play good offense. That's a very frustrating play. I know it's just one play, but clearly he cares a lot about his rebounds, and it's frustrating to watch with a guy like Luka Doncic. There's a benefit if he gets the rebound. I know if that was DeAndre Ayton, Eagle would be chewing him out for, for not rim running. Yeah. As you said, it was a, a wide-open rebound for the guard to get in Doncic and, and you know have your big sprint up the floor and and create space. So yeah, I think, again, great choice there with Dallas. My bad team here is Washington, and I'm awarding them the, you know you're desperate to make a move if you're hoping that Dwight Howard's return is going to help you. (laughs) Uh, This one hurts me, Max. The the Washington (laughs) Wizards are one and seven after I said they will win 50 games this season. I was way off. The John Wall contract's obviously been talked about a little bit in the the last couple of days. Phoenix fans are worried that they're the ones that are going to end up with it. I think Miami's another team you could watch this space with. And uh, I've seen a few other people suggest Orlando as well, who basically is is running without a a proper point guard at the moment. But do they trade Bill or or Otto Porter instead? And an interesting one to watch. I think it's another coach-firing situation that we probably need to look at as well I think Scott Brooks might be the next coach to fall if it's not uh, Luke Walton or or, or someone else Uh, and I'm not going to mention our coach's name there (laughs) that's interesting that you bring up Orlando because I hadn't thought about this but that's like the only team I think I would be okay with getting John Wall because they just desperately need a point guard of any kind like at all and they have Aaron Gordon to trade which would be getting rid of a contract. And they're not going to be good anytime soon anyway, so it doesn't really matter for them that that contract's going to suck for four years. I actually don't hate that for Orlando, weirdly. So I heard a trade on the Ringer podcast that was uh, Bradley Beal for Josh Hart and Brandon Ingram, which I thought was just a really interesting mm. trade. I just just thought of it now as you were talking. What do you guys think of that trade? I think the Lakers are one team of a good handful that Beal would look really good on. Uh, and, and, you know... Bill, yeah, to me, is, I agree. Yeah, Bill, Bill's the kind of player, uh, you know, it's been talked about quite a lot that not every player fits very well with LeBron James, but I think Bill is, is definitely the type of player that would look very good next to LeBron James. What do you think about that, Max? I would do that in one second if I were the Lakers. I think that Washington would be kind of crazy to do that, but uh, I don't think Ingram's nearly as good as everyone in the league seems to think, so I could see it happening. Yeah, same. I, I, I think that's a very realistic possibility. I just I wouldn't do it because I don't think Ingram's that good. Uh, so mine's kind of a cheat because this team's played very well, but I'm still putting in the bad category because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name this the She's Way Out of Your League <laughs> award. And... Uh, I'm giving it to the Sacramento Kings because I love what they've been doing so far. They're like your buddy who's uh, you know dating this like super good-looking girl, but you know it's not going to last very long because she's going to move on. But it's fun while it's happening, and you're really happy for them. That's the Sacramento Kings for me right now. Uh, I love what they're doing. De'Aaron Fox has been it's sensational. I'm a huge Fox fan. I wanted them to take him over Jackson, but you know I digress. Bielitsa has been a revelation. He's been incredible. Honestly, a borderline all-star. Buddy Heald has been awesome. The team's just so much fun to watch. They're 6-3. and three. They're rolling. I think their next two games are against Boston and Toronto or something like that, or maybe Milwaukee and Toronto, so there might be a reality check coming. Uh, the, the, the good-looking girl might dump them, 
but uh, that's my uh, that's my that's my award. Yeah, the the caution with them, Max, is a couple of teams from last year. I think Orlando is one, and Memphis might be the mm-hmm. other. Who who started very similarly, and then obviously we know things got pretty ugly. I don't know whether we're we're hoping as Suns fans that that's going to happen here because it's hard to see them. Uh, doing essentially what we hoped the Suns were going to do to start the year. But uh, yeah, definitely one to watch and uh, I think a, a good award to hand out there. It's a hilarious award too. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. So we're going to move to seven seconds or less. Seven seconds or less is the segment where one of us asks the other and the guest three questions for which the other and the guest have seven seconds or less to respond. This week, it's me asking David and Mike, Three questions. You guys ready? Ready. Ready. Okay. These are a little bit eclectic, so uh, follow me here. So the first one, Duke starts November 6th. That's Tuesday. I can't wait. Super excited. They're playing Kentucky. If you could wave a magic wand and have any player from Duke this year, including Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, which one would you wave your magic wand, put in the Suns roster right now? Mike, we'll start with you. Zion, come on. <laughs> that would be so fun to watch. I have no idea what it would look like, but just any guy. He's Charles Barkley, basically. I mean, you can, you can add a guy that plays like Charles Barkley onto the team. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think if we're waving a magic wand right now and putting them on the team, it, it, it's hard not to, to pick Zion. Uh, I think it's a really intriguing fit and, and one uh, worth testing and, and watching. If we're projecting forward around, you know, a guy that the Suns could draft, uh, I'm still on the reddish train, and probably because that might mean that the Suns finish the year quite well and, and aren't as depressing, and therefore out of the the first couple of slots there, Max. Maybe some lottery luck, but uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of reddish. Fun. We're all three gonna have different answers because mine's RJ Barrett. Yeah, they're all good. They are all good. I, I kind of see RJ Barrett as kind of like a, a do-over for Doncic in a way. Not that it was a bad thing. <laughs> Not saying that. But he's sort of the same thing. Like with Booker, those two would just be so ridiculous on the perimeter together. And I just, I just want that to happen. I want Booker to have somebody to share the load with, and that's why I do it. Okay, anyway, move on. Uh, this one comes from my brother. I think this is kind of interesting. If you could take one player on the Suns roster right now and immediately transform him into the best player ever to play at his position, which player are you transforming? Oh, wow. Any point guard? <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah Cannon, Elia Kobo, uh, DeAnthony Melton, any one of those guys. We need a point guard. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point, Mike. Keep Booker and Aiton as, as they are and add a third guy at, at historical levels and the team would look pretty juicy. But uh, I'd go Aiton because, uh, you know, the most dominant big in the league would uh, transform this team uh, ridiculously. So that would be my pick, Max. We're all three going to have different answers again. Uh, I'm actually going to go Josh Jackson because I think Booker ah. and Aiton are already good. And if you make Josh the best wing in the history of the league, I think this team might be uh, kind of good. I like it. So let's do the final one. I said these are these are eclectic. This is going to be another one that's totally off the radar here. So Rich Kleiman, do you guys know who that is? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's Kevin Durant's manager guy. I guess he's not really his agent, but like his like uh, most trusted confidant. He's been on the uh, on the Bill Simmons podcast with Durant before, and he said many times that he wants to run a team. He thinks that he could run a team. He'd be great at it. Here's the question, Mike: If you could get Kevin Durant to sign here for a, a max deal this summer, would you also bring on Rich Kleiman to be the GM? And he has to be the GM the whole time. Uh, yeah, definitely, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. You can fire a GM, too, at some point, as we've seen. So if it doesn't work out with Rich, at least you have Durant. But, yeah, I think that absolutely. Um, It's clear that uh, Sarver makes all the decisions anyway. Yeah, two points for me. I would say you definitely do. One, because it's a player's league at the end of the day, and having a top five player in the NBA changes your team dramatically. And as Mike just touched on, 
Uh, there's plenty of people that think that the uh, GM in Phoenix doesn't necessarily mean a lot anyway. So I think that's a sacrifice you would make. Yeah, that one may have been too easy considering our current manager. He seems like a smart guy too. Yeah, he does. He comes across well on the podcast. All right. I think that's it for us. Mike, please plug anything you want. Uh, the Timeline. It's called The Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. You can find it through your podcast apps. Uh, listen to us. We do uh, basically a weekly podcast on the Suns. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens with this team, so uh, <laughs> there's enough to listen to, enough topics for all of us to cover and talk about. Follow us on Twitter at The Timeline Pod. You can find both of the hosts uh, on, on there as well. Yeah, the Suns aren't boring. That is true. Mm-hmm. Well, as for us, I... I'm MaxMCC11 on Twitter. David is at the Four Point Play on Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out. David, thanks. Thanks, Max. And yeah, I'll just reiterate, uh, great to have Mike on finally. We've been trying to tee that one up for a little while. And yeah, I can't say it enough. I, I love what the timeline does. Uh, it's definitely in my regular rotation. And, and as Mike said, there's a nice little community of sons building now and uh, one that we're happy to be a part of. And uh, great to have Mike on. And I'm sure we will have him or Sam on uh, again sometime soon. Thank you. Ditto and all that. The timeline's great. Everyone should listen. Thanks, guys.